my podcast today. I am so excited to have my faith family, um, one of our iron friends, and my husband and I believe that is one of the sons that the Lord had for us, a spiritual son, um, Kyle Negretti. Yeah, that rhymes with spaghetti, is with me today, and we are so excited to share. What's up, Kalijah? Oh, come on now. Oh, it is so good to be in the land. Well, Candy. just to let you know, I call Kyle Kalijah or Kalasha. Why? Well, from the prophets of the, the Old Testament, doing miracles, having great things happening in their life, and we believe that happens to him. Many years ago, Kyle met my mom and dad in an airport. Um, they were headed on a trip to Israel, and it was like an instant faith family connection. So what happened? It was powerful. So we were in the Newark airport on our way to Israel. It was February 16th, 2015. I'll never forget it. And I saw Mama Jackie in those big, beautiful eyes and Papa. And I walked over, and I felt before, before the interaction, I walked over, and, and I felt like the Lord said, go and serve this couple, serve them, honor them, love them, pick up their bags, help them, uh, for they're going to be the spiritual covering that you've always prayed for but never knew existed. And so I went over to them, and I literally, this is our first interaction, Mama and Papa, my name is Kyle, can you mm -hmm. hand me your bags? And they said, it. here you go, son. And it's been family ever, ever since. Ever since. Okay, what I love about this story, just talking about that, and you know I called you the Elisha Elijah, in Second Kings 3.11, um, there's this moment where they're looking for a prophet, and they actually say, like, where is this guy? And they're like, well, well, there's this one that he used to wash the hands of Elijah, but he was serving. And it's amazing to me that I believe the real way to have success is we serve our way into success. And that's really, and we serve our way into family. We serve our way into relationships. The greatest thing in my life have cost me the sacrifice of serving. Mm. And um, that's what our relationships are built out of. And so for me, that's really how the, the relationship between you and mom and dad started, and then um, Jeff and I, you came and visited and came home with us, and we now, we're like, we're all family, just faith family. Yeah, I mean, it's so powerful. Think about all authority, all power had been given to Jesus, and what did he do with it? He wrapped their towel around his waist and washed the That's feet right. of his friends. So today, I want to talk a little bit about your yes in serving. Um, you've said yes to things that people would have thought were crazy, like living in Haiti in an orphanage and then giving up on some other things that the world would have thought that's what you should have said yes to. But when you say yes to what God's calling you to do, these great adventures, that's when your true success, that's really where the wealth of your life comes from. Absolutely. And I, and I say, I tell people, and I've, modeled, I've had to learn this the hard way, but if we are, I say if we're too big to serve, then we're too small to lead. That's so good. Right? And it's so powerful. And I think that uh, true biblical honor, I believe, is all about really celebrating and honoring where the presence of God rests on an individual, right? And there's something so powerful about serving your way into the kingdom, serving your way into relationships where it really, the relational equity in my life after meeting your, your parents, our pastors, was 100x, and it just came by me just picking up their bags, well, you know, I believe that people that really want to get something done find a way. Yeah. But people that um, always talk about getting something done find excuses. <laughs> and serving causes you to move into action. A lot of times we'll give lip service to something, but that, that self-service, that action of really 
picking up, doing, getting in the mess of things. I mean, that's where that's where the rubber meets the road. Absolutely, because I would say, you know, fake honor really is just flattery. It's, the at time. the very, very core, it's just flattery. It's lip service. I want to tell you how great you are, and I want to get the most out of you with the least amount of effort. That's right. Right, but true biblical honor is always going to present itself in the way that you serve, and the way, and the generosity of time, right? Your time, your talents, your treasure, how it is that you're gifting that which of yourself. And that's the most beautiful thing. And that's what I love about you and being around you and the environment that you've not only created for yourself, but your family, this this church, this community is you have you have created a life centered around serving. Yeah. And, and really, it's an honor that the Lord even lets us love on people because we're all God's kids. And, you know, for me, I have children, I have grandchildren now, but the people that I really trusted with my babies, whoo, they had a special place in my heart. And isn't it cool that God loves us enough that he trusts us with each other? He said, mm-hmm. I want to use you to let my love flow through. That's really how yeah. it's supposed to work. And I think about the story of the Good Samaritan. Maybe you guys don't know where that is. You can look it up in the Bible. You can Google it. It'll help you find it. But what I love about this, there's a lot of people that saw things, talked about things, maybe could have done something, but it's the Good Samaritan that really got down and dirty and put his time, his life, his effort. It was even an interruption. And I believe that the greatest um, interceptions of heaven for the divine to take place in our life are normally interruptions where we get the opportunity to serve, when we have to slow down and maybe get off of our agenda and get into God's plan. That is so good. Yeah, because we'll never... We will only love to the degree at which that we're willing to be interrupted. Every time. Right? And I, I just, I love creating a life that's centered around that. Right? Yes. God, every single day I wake up in the morning, God, will you make me someone that you can trust? Yes. And trust me with mystery. Because we're interacting with Imago Day all day. Every single person that we come in contact with carries the image of God. Yes. And so what would it look like if we challenged ourselves that every single one of our interactions, we treated as that person, as Jesus in disguise? And it's changed. It's changed the ways that we think. It changes the way that we, that we exchange and interact with people. Because what if we saw that just a giant 10 out of 10? right? Over every single person that there is divine destiny that lives on the inside of this person. And what if in the exchange that we put a demand on that potential that that has lived dormant because of whatever has happened, right? What would it look like if we just put a demand on that potential that lived on the inside of people? What would it look like for people to be awakened to that potential? No, I love that. And really to say, God sees you because he does. God sees you. If you're listening today, he sees you and he wants to use you. But I think so many times, Truthfully, for me in my life, fear and fatigue have been the things that have stopped the flow of God in my life. But if I can get into faith and patience, which is endurance, mm-hmm. faith, that patient word in the Greek also means endurance. If I can move and operate in those, that's where it says through faith and patience or faith and endurance, we inherit the promises of God. So for me, it's not letting fear and fatigue. Well, what's fear? Well, really, shame is part of fear, whether you know it or not. I'm going to be rejected or they're going to find out we let our past stop us. We let pettiness. We let pride, we let people, we let pain all stop us from that, really that God purpose in our lives. So for me, I have to get over um, really fatigue. Maybe you guys are feeling that or listening where you're thinking, oh my goodness, I don't even know if I can handle an interruption. I can't even handle my day. But what's amazing is those small interruptions are like faith fuels. And if you'll go ahead and take them and serve in that moment, you end up being blessed. And God says he'll redeem the time. It's amazing to me what he does. Yeah. I mean, I, I when you said shame, I, I feel like even a, even some of the listeners, right? I think that shame is something that we all, yeah, that we all wrestle with and that we all deal with in some sort of capacity. And, and shame really sucks because it makes you feel like you're not really living. 
That's right. And there's really nothing to live for. And without without anything to live for, there's nothing to hold on to. That's right. Right. And so that's why we talk about what does it what does it mean to be a hope filled person, right? What would it look like if every single person that came in encounter with me became hope filled because of the interaction, because yes. I, of a smile, because of knowing them by name, all of those things. And so eye contact, smiling with your eyes, even if you got your mask on. <laughs> absolutely. And so that I mean that's the thing is we need to freak our faces out every once in a while and smile <laughs> like we are. We we are to act as a billboard of what's to come. And yeah. that's a Jesus that is happy that like good theology, theology that will wreck you is that God's in a good mood. All the time. All the time. All the time. Yeah. That's amazing. I think he's laughing. I know he laughs at me or he's thinking, hey, what is she about to do? And you may feel that way. Here's the thing. The joy of the Lord is our strength. What does that mean? That when you feel hopelessness, when you feel that fatigue, it's really because you're not hooked into your joy source, Absolutely. which is him. And if the joy of the Lord is our strength, that means that God's got supernatural joy, which is one of the fruit of the spirit that gives you strength to sustain, to sustain, to endure, to hold on. It's so true. And as you were saying that, you know, one of the Psalms that everyone knows, regardless if you're a a Christian or not is, is Psalm 23, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? Yes. And what's so powerful about that is it says through the valley. It doesn't say to the valley. You don't sit at camp in the valley. Right. Don't, don't pitch a tent in the valley. Yeah. And the va- so the valley was never meant to be a destination. Never. And so we need to it's be around process. people. It's a process. Exactly. Because I, it is interesting, right, that most of our life is lived be- from mountaintop to mountaintop. It's That's lived right. in the valley. It's That's in right. that mundane valley. And so how we find ourselves and how we find the, that cadence and that rhythm of how to live in that to realize that the valley was never meant to be a destination, but a lot of our lives is lived through that. We need to have, we need to surround ourselves with people to walk through that journey with us. Well, you know, I think a lot of times too, we get caught up on spectators. We let the voice of the spectators be louder in life than maybe the the voice of the coach or the other players. And I love Hebrews 12. One through three, which it talks about us being surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Well, witnesses are people that have played hard and said, "Don't quit, don't quit, keep coming." And that's what faith families. That's what you and I are. That's what our families are together, our iron friends. But we're sharpening each other. But it's those spectators, and it's amazing to me if you look back even through history, at the time of the gladiators, or if you look back when um, they were having sports events. You think they build a lot of stadiums so that everyone up is above you. And they're looking down at you. Most of the time in your life, the spectators watch you walk through the valley. That's when there's all these eyes. And they may be saying, maybe they should have done that. Or I could have done it that way. Or I would have done that. You've got to close down the voice of the spectators in your valley moments. And really in your mountain moments too. But especially in your valley moments. And realize, that's not who I'm listening to. I will not let them be um, what moves me. Because I think about sports. There's hundreds of thousands of those spectators. There's just a few players. And and those those guys are going home and it doesn't matter. But you're a player. You keep walking. You're going through. You're pushing to the next level. And you have to really, I have to talk to myself that way. You were an athlete. I know yeah. you may not look like one now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's, that, that is true. Lord of mercy. I'm playing with you. That was the ugly mama joke. No, but but that's so true. And I think in that, the it's really easy to to play the role as a spectator. Yeah. I think it, it takes a lot of guts to, to be, be a, a participant, mm-hmm. to get into the game, right? And I think that for those that are listening, I just say, let's cancel the tryouts. You're already on the team, right? Let's cancel the casting call. How about you become the, the, main, the, the main character, right, in your own story? How about you get in the game with God, stop playing spectator, yes. get in the game, become a participant, become a player, because that was always the role that God had intended you to play. 
Well, you know, we always think that someone is always doing what someone else said couldn't be done. Yeah, it's great. And you have to get rid of the excuses. I really believe when you go to becoming a player, and let me just say this is for someone I know that's listening right now. A spectator normally is a victim. They always blame someone else when they're not really playing. But here's the cool thing about Daddy God or Coach God or however you want to view it today is he's called you to be his MVP. Yes, you. The person that's listening right now, look in the mirror. If you're driving, just flash up real quick. Look, look in your rearview mirror and know that you are called to be God's most valuable player. He has a plan and a purpose for your life that you are supposed to fulfill. And he wants you to run, but he wants you to run with strength. He wants you to run with endurance. He wants you to run with joy. But he's got a plan. But it, you can't run on your own strategies, on your own game plans. You have to run on his. So good. And I, I just, I heard this kind of question, this phrase, are you willing to lose the label of victim? Oh, that's so good. Right. It's just, it's so profound because oftentimes we are what people say about us, mm-hmm. right? And we, we let that label attach to us, but are we willing to own up to the responsibility of what it takes to be on the path, right? Mm-hmm. And journey to wholeness. Yes. It's, it's a messy, beautiful, brave path, but it's so worth it. Right. Because I, I believe that that's, the, that's the interesting part about victims, right? Because real love is always going to be extremely offensive to the victim because it believes in them or in you a way that you refuse to. Oh, really, what happens is, is you're not believing in yourself the way God, for who God's really called you to be. I love that. It is offensive and it's surprising and it's shocking. And I always say the victim mentality is the one that um, I love Joseph in the Bible. And you may have heard me preach this before or speak about it before. But Joseph got pushed in a pit by other people. And in today's society, you would have said that's a victim. But here's how Joseph did not become a victim. He may have got pushed in the pit, but he didn't let the pit get in him. He didn't become Mm. pitiful. Mm. He even got put in a Potiphar's house and bad things happened, but he didn't let Potiphar's house get in him. He got put in a prison. He didn't let the prison get. He kept the promise. Mm. If you'll hold on to the promise of maybe what you dreamed of being when you were younger, the, the desires, but really begin dreaming again. It's how you get over a victim mentality because everyone's a victim of something in today's standards, yeah. of, a, of a home life, of a tragic situation. I know there's things that happen to you, like people could look, your mother going to heaven when you were 12 years old. There's different things that you were in a bad car accident when you were a young man and they said you would never be able to play sports. But you did not let that label, you did not become a victim. You decided to be a victor. How can we be victors? Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And we have the spirit of God, the same exact spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now living in your mortal body. If you said yes to Jesus, I'm telling you, you ain't got a victim. You're a champion. Come on, let's give it up. That That is, we could just stop there. That's, that is, <laughs> I, hey, you got what you came for. I came what I got for right here. But uh, yeah, I think it's just, it's so powerful right? Because we are more than conquerors, right? Mm -hmm. But I think it's really, it's much easier to hear that in theory. It's much harder to live that out in practice. But if that's what God says about us, then I I would hate to be spending all of my days thinking and responding in ways in which that God doesn't think or respond to me in that way, right? And so I think what's so powerful is that let's get up off the couch. Let's get up, let's, let's kick apathy and fear and complacency in the teeth. I love it. Right? If if God has established our steps or de- you know determined our steps, then he can't establish or determine something that's not moving, right? So there's just something so profound about getting up, putting your right foot in front of your left foot and then you got God's got something to work with, right? And I love that he called he called anyone that was on the move, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he called he called some crazy people 
But they were movers. But they were movers and shakers, exactly. Because he could do, he could work with something that was moving. And I just, I want to just, I, I'm believing right now that there are people that are listening that have been that been have been plagued by complacency, plagued by fear, plagued by inaction, out of fear of what was going to be on the other side when you got up. You've gotten so comfortable sitting in this place of victimhood, of loneliness. And God, even under the sound of our voices, that God is establishing something new, that he's putting this tension on this divine dissatisfaction that lives on the inside of you that says, I am playing small. And Jesus didn't go to the cross, raise, raise himself from the dead so that we could play small. Mm-mm. No, it didn't. You know, Kyle, I really think we, we should end here. And I want to really challenge you today to say, I'm going to go ahead and decide to make a move. But you're going to want to catch our next podcast with Kyle and I because we're going to be sharing on you to you about some guys in the Old Testament that just because they got up and made a move, restoration happened, miracles happened, and they were the people that no one should have even counted in. You may today think, I don't even count. Everyone's already counted me out. I want you to know when you think that the the world's counted you out, God's counted you in. He's the most amazing thing that he takes our messes and makes some messages. And for me, he he's always looking for the down and outers. And that was me. That was me. And he will use us and he will bring restoration. But it does make a difference if you get up and move. That's the game changer. Yeah. So it's time to get up and move. Stay tuned. The best is yet to come. (laughs) Come on now, let's do it.